Lord, we worship you for, for April's testimony of your faithfulness, sovereignly watching over her life and taking care of her day to day. And we worship you for the greater story that her story alludes to, which is that you're the God who loves us, pursues us, and gives us new life in your son Jesus, that you give us your heart and we worship you for that. And Lord, we thank you for this church. I thank you for the people present here this morning. I pray that as we do look forward to kind of this third chapter of Maricopa Springs coming up in the next month as we make a move to a new location, Lord, I pray that you would keep your hand of blessing on this church. Um, All the lives, all the people in this room are a testimony to your faithfulness. And so we worship you for that. And I pray that you would continue to bless our church with that faithfulness and that you would make us, in turn, faithful to you, faithful to your word. And so we pray that you'd be blessed and praised this morning and this time together. Amen. Uh, Many years ago, I heard this wonderful quote by a guy named William Carey. Maybe you've heard of him. He was a missionary to China. And he said this wonderful quote, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And as I look back on the history of our relatively young little church here, those words kind of echo through the moments of the memories that I have of our church uh, over the last seven years. Maricopa Springs was born out of this expectation that our God is a God who does great things. He redeems sinners. He saves the lost. He lifts up the downcast. He satisfies those who are hungry. He brings joy to those who mourn. He literally makes life out of death. And so seven years ago, my wife and I, along with one other couple, we moved to Maricopa. We didn't know anybody. We didn't have any money. Uh, We didn't have any organization behind us cheering for us and supporting us to plant this church. We just expected God to do great things. Retrospectively, I might say rather foolishly. And today, though, I look around and I see God is sustaining our church. He's doing ministry through this congregation in ways that I never dreamed were possible. It makes me think of the verse Ephesians in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 3. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, in the big picture of God's redemptive work throughout history, from Moses to Billy Graham, maybe you could say, Maricopa Springs is nothing, right? It's a tiny little church in a podunk cow town in the south side of Phoenix that most people know nothing about. But let's not let the truth of that statement diminish the greater truth of the good things that God has done in our lives, being part of this church. Yes, the big, in the big picture of God's redemptive work through history, we can look and say maybe Maricopa Springs is insignificant, but yet how wonderful to know that our God, he loves each and every one of us, so much so that he's given us this church, this body of believers, this community to belong to, so that we might be blessed and grow. I mean, he cares about you enough that he wants you to be blessed and to grow. 
And I, I hope that that applies to you, but I know that I can say with certainty that I've been sanctified through this process. I've been drawn closer to God as a result of being part of this church. I know that many of you have as well because I know many of your stories. And that is a wonderful testimony to God's grace and his love, isn't it? What God has done here is great because each one of you are here. Do you understand that? This is the testimony of the greatness of his work. It is you being present in this body of believers. Now, let me make it very clear. As William Carey rightly understood when he said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. The reason why Maricopa Springs is here is because our God is great and he has done this work. In Matthew 16, Peter, or Jesus looks at, at Peter, the impulsive, the overconfident disciple who often spoke and said many foolish things before he really thought about the consequences of what they might mean. And Jesus says to Peter, you are Peter, which means rock, and on this rock I will build my church. And I think it's a small detail in here, but notice in that promise, who is the one that's at work? Jesus doesn't say, you are Peter and you will build my church. He says, you are Peter and on you, on, you, on this rock, I will build my church. Peter is not the one who builds the church. Peter is the tool which God uses to build the church, but it is God himself who builds. And the reason why we can be confident that our attempts to do great things for the glory of God will be successful is because we're confident that it is God who's at work to accomplish great things for his name's sake. I was reading yesterday in Psalms, and I came across, I just happened to come across this verse, Psalm 31.3. For you, O God, are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead and guide me. And so as I reflect back over the last seven years of laboring to serve and build this church, all I can see in this story is the faithfulness of God, much like April could see his faithfulness through her story. You need to understand it's not I who've done this, it's God. It's not you who've done this, although many of you have served in many sacrificial ways along the way, but it's not you who've done it, it's God. And we've labored hard and we've been people of action, but we've also been people who've been patient to wait on the Lord, to see him move. And as a result of that, God has done great things at Maricopa Springs. We've expected him to do great things and we've attempted to do do great things for his glory. And he, in the process, has built his church and we're blessed to be part of it, even as we continue forward with great expectation that he's going to continue to do incredible things in this third chapter of our church. Okay, that's a brief statement on where we've come from. And now here we are, January 2017. And as I thought about where are we right now in this moment, I had kind of a hard time seeing past my own nose, okay? Uh, sometimes I feel like as a, as a leader in a church, God gives me great discernment to be able to evaluate the state of our church, and I'm blessed by that. But as I kind of tried on vacation to assess where our church is at, uh, I I couldn't really get past myself, and I hope you'll forgive me for that because it sounds super narcissistic, and that's not what I intend. Um, All I mean is that I'm not sure that I can speak for you where you're at in your relationship with God right now. So let me try and just tell you a little bit about where I'm at. Uh, Let me try and give you a glimpse of the kind of leader that you're following. Uh, while I 
was in Chicago. I had many conversations with my little brother about his pastor. He works on staff at a church. He's a youth pastor. And honestly, the guy that he works for is, um, I think he's a good dude, but he just, he's not a great leader. And as I sat and I listened to my brother talk about his pastor, not in a slanderous way, but just an honestly critical way, I found myself wondering this kind of terrifying thought. What do the people at my church say about me and my leadership behind closed doors? As they talk to one another about me when they know that I can't hear. Kind of a frightening thought. I wondered how many people in my church might be frustrated with decisions that I've made. Or how many people thought that I was failing in various areas of my leadership. I wondered how many people disliked my preaching or disagreed with my leadership choices. I wondered how many of you, even though you may disagree with me or have been upset with me at various times, I wondered how many of you actually pray for me on a regular basis to have wisdom in my role. Or how critical you are about me as a pastor in the various ways that I've come up short in my leadership over the years. Do people in my church, I I wonder, do they harbor bitterness towards me for things I've said or mistakes that I've made? And as I listened to my brother speak about his pastor, again, he wasn't being slanderous. He was just wrestling through some of the difficulties of interpersonal conflict. I just wondered whether people in my church talk well about me when they know that they're in a safe place to speak openly and freely or not. And so as I evaluate the state of our church at this present moment, I'm I'm not going to try and speak for all of us as a whole. Let me only speak for me to kind of give you a picture of where I'm at as the pastor here at Maricopa Springs, okay? If you haven't already noticed, then I will will break the ice here and say that you're following a dysfunctional person. If If that comes as a surprise to you, I'm very sorry to disappoint you. But for some reason, God chooses to use dysfunctional people to build his kingdom. Have you seen this? Because when he does that, then he gets the glory as the one who accomplishes great things. And I'm sad to say that I'm dysfunctional, but I'm not discouraged by that fact, actually. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we hear Paul tell us about this incredible experience that he had where he was given this intimate vision of heaven, something that you and I could only dream to experience in this life. And to keep him humble, Paul writes, so that he didn't become proud or conceited, Paul was given this thorn in his side. God chose to make Paul weak in some form as sort of the counterbalance to this incredible vision that he'd been given. And although God prayed, or although Paul prayed three times for God to take this thorn away from him, God did not do so. Instead, God responded with these wonderful words. I hope they're familiar to you. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Wow. I think it's safe to say that God actually prefers weakness in his people. And that's counterintuitive, especially in this idea of leadership, right? When we think about leadership, we think bold, courageous, strong, uh, whatever. But in God's mind, he likes weakness. Paul goes on to write, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of what my weakness is, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, 
insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And what I'm trying to say is that I'm an, I'm an imperfect pastor. I'm a weak leader. I struggle. I sin. I fail. I mess up. I'm not proud of any of those things. I'm not trying to overlook them. I don't think that they're acceptable. And I may not even be aware of all of the ways in which I fail and do those things. I'm probably only aware of some of them. You're probably aware of some of these too, right? Organizational effectiveness, I don't do so well. When it comes to strategic leadership and the administration that goes behind it, I don't do so well. Sometimes I can be hard to connect with on a relational or emotional level because I feel awkward or uncomfortable. I sometimes fail at follow-through. I could go on. I'll spare you the tedium, okay? But here's what I want you to understand. In spite of my dysfunction, in spite of my sin, my failures as a pastor or leader, I love Jesus. I really, really do love Jesus. And I have a lot of confidence in him as the one who is ultimately leading our church. And more than anything, I really want you to love Jesus as well. That, that's what I'm truly, truly passionate about. And I may not always manage our church well, but I hope and pray to God that my, uh, my preaching, my leadership, my teaching, my life is a testimony of the greatness of our God above and beyond all else. I hope that the love I have for Jesus, the passion that I have for his word, builds you up to greater heights of love and passion for him as well. And so, with a little bit of vulnerability, I'm sad to say I have weaknesses, but I'm also proud to say that I can truly boast in those weaknesses because they display the greatness of God through his power to use even a broken vessel like me or a broken vessel like you to accomplish his will his purposes. And so I guess the encouragement for you in where God has our church right now under my leadership is that God does use broken leaders to do great things. Okay? I think Paul's words in 2 Corinthians show us two ways in particular, if I can be so bold. First, I think God uses broken leaders because by breaking them, he makes them humble. And weak and broken leaders are dependent on God. They're more dependent on God than they are on themselves. And that's a very, very good thing. Paul was humbled by the thorn in his side. And that was God's purpose in giving it to him. That Paul would learn that God's grace is sufficient. And his power is perfected in our weakness. It's most gloriously displayed. Where we cannot, but he can. And the second reason I think why God uses broken leaders is that broken leaders tend to be more effective in pushing people towards Jesus because they know that they aren't Jesus. Uh, There have been times in my life as a pastor, probably more when I was a youth pastor, I was learning this lesson, that I truly thought I could save people. Like I was good enough at this thing that that I could jump into the mess and I could drag people to the shore and I could resuscitate them and I could do the heart change that only God can do. And yet through brokenness, I've learned that it's Jesus who saves people. And my responsibility, all it is, is to point people to him. That's all that I can do as a pastor. He must increase and I must decrease. And so ours must be a church ultimately where people look to the cross of Christ, where people look to Jesus seated on the throne beside the Father, to the resurrected King, not merely to their pastor for leadership. And the best thing that I can do for you, really the only thing that I can do for you, is to point you to Christ, 
and in weakness and brokenness. I'm trying to learn how to do that more each day, and I hope that you'll pray for me in that and be patient with me. And I do believe with confidence, because I have confidence in my God, that in spite of my failures and in spite of my shortcomings in so many different areas, our God is great, and he is good, and he is capable of doing incredible things. And if you're willing to trust him, and if you're willing to have faith in him along the journey, then I think you'll have a glorious experience watching him do that through our humble little church, Maricopa Springs, as well. So that's where we are currently. That's kind of where I am currently, broken and overwhelmed by the task ahead of me, yet boldly confident in the power of God to accomplish all that he wills, not because of me, but in spite of me. And so if you're still willing to follow a leader like that, then where are we going? Let me try and give you a glimpse of what's in store for us in the year ahead. To do that, I want to look at Philippians 2. If you have your Bible, (coughs) I would love for you to turn there. Normally, I give you a heads up, but I didn't this time. Forgive me. In Philippians chapter 2, starting in verses 1 through 5, and if, if you're with us and you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. Come, come let me know or tell anybody around you after church. I want a Bible. They'll help you get connected with one. All right, so Philippians 2, verse 1, it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. As I thought about this next year, where, where do I want our church to be headed in 2017? The idea that I felt like God was laying on my heart most loudly was for us to be a healthy church. And we've been a steadily growing church for the last couple of years, and I thank God for that. That's a wonderful experience to be part of a church where there's life and growth and it feels like people want to be part of what's going on. And it's wonderful to have each and every one of you here and be part of that, part of what God's doing. But as I think about moving forward for this next year, what I really dream about is us being a healthy church, meaning a church that's full of healthy people like the ones that are described here in Second Philippians, or Philippians 2, sorry. People who find encouragement in Christ, comfort in his love, people who participate in his spirit alive inside of them, who have sympathy and affection for one another, people who share in the joy of knowing Christ, people so rooted and grounded in this reality of God vibrantly alive inside of them that they actually look like Christ in the way that they live and talk. They share his mind among themselves, unified in his grace. They love deeply. They love selflessly. They actually consider other people more significant than themselves. They don't push for their own agenda. They're not concerned with their own interests, but like Jesus, their master, they willingly lay aside their lives to lift others up, even if sometimes that comes at great expense to them. And oh man, as much as I want our church to grow because we're saving more people in Maricopa, I mean, 
one of the reasons we're moving to the high school is because we want to have room for more people if God decides to bring them to our church. We don't want to make them stand outside. And as much as I want to see that happen, because that means that people are entering the kingdom of God, God is redeeming their lives, and he's glorified in that. My passion for this year, actually, is for our church to be a healthy church, for us to be healthy Christians, rooted and grounded in Christ Jesus. Yes, dysfunctional in our sin and weakness. I mean, if any of you manage to get past that, give me a call, because I would like to talk about how you pulled that off. And so honest in our dysfunction and our sin and our weakness, but still seeing the power of God at work in and through us because the Spirit of God is alive in us and we share in the heart and the mind of Christ. And so my deepest desire for this year is that in January of 2018, we would look back at this last year, 2017, by the grace of God and say that over this year, we became more spiritually healthy people. So what does that spiritual health look like specifically? I actually put a piece of paper in your bulletin. It's the orange one. Maybe you cheated and looked at it already. But pull that out because I, I, I want you to be able to put this on your fridge or on your dashboard or somewhere where you can keep it as a reminder. And I put six things on that paper. There are more, and, and I didn't like reference scripture verses with each of these, although I could have done that. Um, I think these are are biblical, even though I didn't give you specific references for them. But these are the ones that I think God has laid on my heart for our church, okay? Number one, submitted, it should say to the word of God. Submitted to the word of God. Let us be Christians who follow God's word. Not just our own thoughts or feelings. Let us live spiritually healthy lives under the wisdom of God's word. God's word makes you wise. Live in the truth of it. Two, serving. I think the healthy Christian stops thinking so much about himself or herself and begins to see the needs that are around them. So let us count others more significant than ourselves and serve the body of Christ and even serve those outside the body that they might see how good our God is and give him glory as well. Number three, hospitable. I think the healthy Christian is eager to live life in community to know and to be known. Someone once told me that they don't like coming to our church because it's too small and people get to know them. (laughs) Yes! That is the point. And so may 2017 be a year where we open our homes to one another even as we learn to open our hearts to one another. Number four, gracious and truthful. Holding these two things in tension to live a spiritually healthy life, I think we have to speak what's true to one another and yet do that with grace. We have to be honest about who we are and the things that we're struggling with and the failures that we see in other people and yet do that full of love and tenderness. Number five, growing in grace. The spiritually healthy Christian, it's a growing Christian. I once heard that a a quote from a farmer, I guess, if it's not growing, it's dead. And I think that of the Christian, you could say that as well. Growing in the power of the Spirit of God and growing in our understanding of grace. And then finally, number six, evangelistic. You know, that's become a dirty word in our culture. But the truth is, we are not spiritually healthy as Christians until we are reproducing our faith in the lives of other people. 
And so we cannot claim that Jesus is the greatest, most wonderful thing if we're not willing to share that. I mean, when was the last time that you found something incredible and then you decided not to tell anybody about it? And man, what I wouldn't give to be able to look back on this year and have every person in this room in 2018 say together that in 2017, God carried us along to greater spiritual health as he was maturing us in these areas. And do you know, each year, do you know what the number one New Year's resolution is? Take a guess. Lose weight, get healthy, right? Get healthy, eat better, exercise, diet, be physically well. And I'm sure maybe many of you thought about that as well, right? But did anybody, did anybody think that this year, as I think about 2017, I want to get healthy, but I want to get spiritually healthy. And that, that would be my desire for our church, that we would be spiritually healthy. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's where I want us to go in 2017 on a spiritual level, but I also want to make you aware of where we're going on a practical level, and I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, man, I'm sorry, guys. Um, you're, when we get into the new building and you sit on these nice comfy chairs, I'm going to preach for like two hours because I, <laughs> I just won't feel bad anymore. All right, on a practical level, there are some changes coming to Maricopa Springs, and I need to make you aware of these things it, because it's a true axiom. People hate change, right? And I don't know why, but it's like it's hardwired into our DNA to hate change. I heard this wonderful quote, though, a couple of weeks ago. Some people see the thing they want. Other people only see the things that keep them from getting what they want. Let me say it again. Some people see the thing they want. Other people can only see the things that keep them from getting what they want. And so for us, we can either strive to have the object of our desire and allow it to inspire us to greater efforts, or we can be sidelined by the fact that there are obstacles in the way. We can see what God might have in store for our church and say, we're going to attempt great things for God because we expect great things from him. Or we can see the obstacles that might possibly be in the way, and then we can choose to be defeated by them. And the biggest change that's coming is we're moving facilities. On February 5th, we're going to hold our first service over at the high school in their multi-purpose room. And ultimately, I do believe that this church will allow us to better serve our community. Our mission statement, helping people meet and follow Jesus, it doesn't have a numeric number to it. And so if God chooses to bring more people, then we want to be prepared to minister to those people. And so along those lines of moving, we're going to be a healthy church full of healthy people, and part of that means that we are prepared to minister to every person who God chooses to bring to us. You are prepared to minister to every person that God chooses to bring to our church. 
And this is the mission that we're on. It's not about us. I'm sorry to break it to you. Like, if you thought coming to this church, like, this is about me. No, actually, it's, you're blessed to be a blessing. It's about seeking and saving the lost in obedience to Christ Jesus for the glory of God. And there's too much at stake for us to be comfortable here. I, I like it here. I honestly didn't want to move to the high school because I don't like change either. I'm really comfortable. But there's too much at stake for us to be comfortable. And so let us be a people who stand before God as Maricopa Springs with open hands, ready to do whatever he asks of us. And as the change in location and the change in facility comes, then we've got the choice to see the thing that we want, which is the glory of God in the saving of the lost people here in Maricopa, our mission of helping people meet and follow Jesus, or we've got the choice to see the little obstacles that might get in the way and to let those things sideline us. I mean, road construction, trains, a shared facility. There's going to be another church in the building. A different look or feel, saying goodbye to the scorpion. <laughs> we can let those things sideline the mission, or we can say we know what we want, and we know what God has called us to, and so we are going to go for that. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to choose to see and to seek after the greater glory of God in this move. And I'm going to trust him to provide and to continue to minister to this community through this church, no matter where we meet. And I want to expect great things from God. And as a result of that expectation, I want to attempt great things for God. And so I'm going to pray to that end for our church. And I hope that you will pray that for our church as well. The other change that's coming that I've alluded to, and we're going to continue to allude to it, is that we're working with some well-qualified guys in our church to raise them up, to train them to be shepherds and pastors over smaller congregations of people from our church who will meet in their homes. And we're going to work this, this year to sort of change your view of church. I'm going, to, I'm going to actually double down on the lady who told me, I don't like going to your church because it's too small and people know me there. Like, that's what we want, and so we're going to double down on that. We're going to try and change your view of church to shift your thinking from seeing this time together on Sunday morning as church to instead beginning to see the church as a real family that you belong to, that you feel that kind of affection for. And so the goal is one year from now in January of 2018, I know it feels like forever away, but just think back to January 2016 and how quickly that's come and gone. We're going to launch these small house communities, and I would love for each of you to choose to be part of that. We want every person in our church who wants to be, we're not going to drag you kicking and screaming, but we want every person who wants to be to, to be connected in relationship to other believers and growing in the context of those friendships that revolve around fellowship together and the study of God's word and the breaking of bread in people's homes. And this is a huge change, actually, in the direction our church is heading. And again, the choice is ours. Will we see the change and only notice the obstacles that might get in our way? Or will we choose to see this as a wonderful new chapter in the story that God is writing for Maricopa Springs as he draws us closer to him. Okay, finally, the last change that I want to mention is the cove. If you have rotten tomatoes, here's where you can pick them up and throw them, okay? 
Honestly, guys, for far too long, I, I have just allowed the Cove, our children's ministry, to operate in a dysfunctional way. And the cost has been really high for people who have every single week served in the back of the building and they've worked themselves to exhaustion and they've missed out on building the fellowship, the relationships that we have a chance to do up here. And I think what I, where I've really failed is I've failed to help you understand the joy and the privilege that you potentially have in being able to invest in the lives of the children of our church. I mean, this is close to home to me. Like, I, I, over the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking, like, how could I get out of preaching once a month so that I could go serve in the cove? And I just want to change the way that we talk about the cove. You have an opportunity, whether you're male or female, husband, wife, retired, young, it doesn't matter. You have an opportunity through serving in the cove to have your life echo through the halls of eternity by investing, sowing seeds in a new generation of followers of Jesus. And I could stand up here and I could plead with you to serve in the cove because we're desperate. I, I've even gone so far as to thought, think about like shutting down the cove if we just don't have enough volunteers because I just don't want to sacrifice any more people on the altar of that ministry. And I acknowledge I've dropped the ball in this area. Here's why. Because some of you are sitting there and you're thinking you're so mad at me because you're like, Grady, you've asked for help and I filled out a form and nothing happened, and then you got up and you apologized about that, and you asked for help again, and you said you'd fix it, and nothing happened. And, and I dropped the ball again, and so I'm truly sorry for that. And this time, I, I can honestly promise it will be different, because we've got a wonderful helper, Brandy. And Brandy has stepped up to help us do what I have not done well. She's come on board to graciously volunteer a ton of her time, help Aaron and I get the cove fully staffed so that anyone who's interested in serving the children of our church can do so. And I have registration sheets for you today if that's something that you are feeling like God is putting on your heart. But I want to tell you this, serving in the cove, it's not something that you have to do. It's a blessing that you get to do, a privilege. Think about this. I think about this. I work, I work a lot of hours between school and church and often my kids come to me and they want my attention and I can't give it to them because I'm busy. And I found myself thinking, wow, what a wonderful opportunity to pour into my kids if I could be in the cove. Even if it was only once a month, I would have an hour and a half roughly to be with them as they learn about the most important thing there is, faith in Jesus. And I could speak into that and I could play with them and I could bless them by teaching them God's word and showing them the love of Christ. I mean, that, that's, that's not a chore. That's a privilege to connect with kids on the deepest level there is, to speak to their hearts about the love of Jesus and encourage them in their faith by being in their Sunday school room, being part of that. And so we need you. We need all of you for this incredibly important task. And remember, healthy Christians, they serve. Healthy Christians are actively building the kingdom of God in some way, more than just in a children's ministry, but that could be part of it. Healthy Christians are involved in laying down their lives for the sake of others. In one of his final moments before being crucified for our sins, what did Jesus do? He took off his outer garments and he wrapped himself in a towel like a common slave. And he then proceeded to the absolute astonishment of his disciples to wash the feet of his friends and his followers. 
It's disgusting. It was undignified work. It was not the kind of work that a rabbi should have been doing, let alone the king of kings or the son of God. And yet Jesus took up the towel and he served and then he called his disciples to do likewise. And he served you on the cross so that you could be free to serve others. Let me just conclude with this, okay? Soren Kierkegaard, my favorite philosopher, he once wrote about the fact that Christians tend to see things all wrong in the way that they view church. If church were a play, he gives kind of an analogy. If church were a play, then where would you, as a church member, be participating in that? There are actors and there are the audience. And most people, he says, in church see themselves as the audience, merely watching the play unfold. They come and they passively sit to watch God perform on the stage. Or maybe to watch the pastor doing the performing while God is sort of behind the curtains, making the lights go off and on. And I guess we haven't really helped much because here you are sitting here watching But in any case, Kierkegaard says this is all wrong. This is not how we should view the church. In the body of Christ, God is the audience, do you see? And you, the people, are the actors on the stage. And I, the pastor, am merely the one calling out lines or standing in the sidelines trying to help you remember the next part of the play where you forget. And so, as you think about our church, where you have been, where you are now, have you been sitting in the audience, passively watching the story unfold like a spectator? Or are you on the stage, eager to please God with your actions, ready to play the part of a disciple? And in 2017, may we be Christians who seek to live spiritually healthy lives. May we be people who boast in our weakness. May we be people who expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. May we be people who take up the towel like Jesus to serve. May we be people who share in the encouragement of Christ. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. God, you've been so faithful to our church over these last seven years. Your grace and your goodness and your faithfulness is written all over the walls of this church, all over the hearts of these people. And for that, I worship you, Father. And God, I pray that as we look forward to 2017, that this wouldn't be a year that's wasted, that that we wouldn't be just concerned about growing numerically or filling a new space, but that we would be people who are conscientious about being healthy Christians committed to the kinds of things that your word says mature followers of Jesus do. And Lord, would you encourage us in that? Would you not let us be discouraged by our weakness, by our failures, by our shortcomings, but instead, would you allow us to hear this whisper, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness.
And Lord, I pray that you would be with us this year, that you would carry us along this journey, that you would write an exciting third chapter to the book of this church, and that through it all, you would receive the glory for your namesake. Amen.